many of you know that uh, C and I have three children, and uh, you know we're doing our best to try to raise them well. And you know some of the things that you want to teach your children. One of those is, with, is that uh, we want to teach them is uh, good manners. You know, you want to teach our children to say thank you, yes ma'am, yes sir. And then, you know, when they request something from us or someone else, we want them to use that word, please, right? When say, can I have this, please? But the other day I was thinking, why do we use that word? I, I, can, I can get the other ones. Thank you. Makes sense. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. But why do you say please? Can I have this please? And you know, actually this word please, after doing a little research, I realized that this word please is a shorthand, informal way of using, of saying kind of the more formal statement, if it pleases you. And so... If you ever use the word please to request something, what you're saying is, can I have this if it pleases you, the giver, to give it to me? And for example, when I take my children to Chick-fil-A and I ask them, you know, kids, what would you all like to drink? Well, they say, Dad, can we please have some Coca-Cola? And then I say, no, you can't. Because I don't want to pump them full of caffeine and sugar because that does not please me. <laughs> of course, you know, it's not good for them to drink that for a long period of time either. But it also, you know, you don't want to pump your children full of caffeine and sugar and then expect them just to, you know, obey always. That doesn't work out. We were on a road trip just yesterday and, you know, I stopped by the store. You know, I usually get my kids a little snack for the road. Well, I got them these huge blow pops. And if you know what a blow pop is, it's a lollipop with gum in the middle. Uh, we're thinking over that decision. Uh, now and thinking, you know, on other road trips that we take in the future, perhaps like a granola bar or, you know, something, you know, a little less stimulating. But anyway, when they say, can I have this please, what they're saying is, I want this, of course, I don't know if they realize that, but I want this if it pleases you for me to have it. And that's why we use the word please. And we try to please a lot of people. You know, you try to please your employer or your boss. You try to please your spouse, your friends, your teachers. You know, you try to please people. And the way we please people is by doing what they want. You know, I do what you want me to do, and I please you that way. Well, when it comes to God, you know, how do you please God? Can you please God? Has anyone pleased God? Well, the guy we're going to look at today, the man that we're going to focus on today, Enoch, is a man that it says he pleased God. And so I want you to turn, turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews 11. We're going to look at two verses here in this chapter. Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you you can use. And while you're turning to that chapter, I want to give you a little context. You know, the writer of Hebrews is writing this letter to help these early Christians persevere in their faith in the midst of various trials and difficulties. He's trying to encourage them to persevere to the end. And the way he's going to do that is he's going to list for them several historical examples of faith. The first one being Abel and the second one being Enoch. And so using this passage of Scripture, Hebrews 11, 5, and 6, I think we're going to get a glimpse of 
Enoch and his context. And we're also going to use the passage found in the book of Genesis that the author is drawing from, found in Genesis 5, 18-24. And using these two passages, I want to revisit Enoch's situation. And I want to look at Enoch's crisis, you know, his moment of decision, whether he's going to follow God or not. I want to look at how Enoch responds to his crisis. And then I want to look at how God responds to Enoch and his decision. And then I want, to, I want us to kind of fast forward and, and talk about how do we, as contemporary people today, how do we please God? Can we please God? And so first let's look at Enoch's crisis. You know, if you read Genesis 5 and 6, this is shortly after the account of, of God creating Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve turning their back on God, going their own way, trying to build their life apart from God. God cast them out of the garden, and then they begin to multiply, like God says. You need to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And so they do that, and they have children. Those children have children, and then you get uh, down the line to Enoch. And we pick up Enoch in chapter 5. But to bookend Enoch, you have a couple things that I want to point out that I think give us an idea of what type of culture Enoch lived in. In Genesis 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And many of you may know this, but this is just prior to the flood. And so God is saying the culture of man is very evil. They are going against God, doing their own thing. It's a very evil culture. And we see one example of that on the, on the other side of Enoch, just before Enoch, in a man named Lamech. And Lamech uh, writes almost like a, a song to his wives. In Genesis 4.23 it says, He writes to his wives, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. And so you get this picture that people are just kind of doing what they want. And it's a very evil culture. It's a culture that's in opposition to God. And so the question is, how is Enoch going to respond in the midst of this type of culture? It's a culture where God has made himself known to some degree. And so the question is, how is Enoch going to respond to that culture? How is he going to respond to God? And the question for us even today is how do we respond to God in the midst of a culture that tries to pull us away from trusting God? How do we we respond to what God has said about Himself and His ways? And so that's Enoch's crisis. Let's look at how Enoch responds. And I want to read the passage from Genesis 5, 21-24. He says, when, the riot, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered, he fathered Methuselah. Now here's a little interesting note. I think most of us know probably more about Methuselah than we do, than we do about Enoch. You know, Methuselah, you know, old as Methuselah. You know, he's the oldest man in the Bible. And so we, we may even recognize that name more so than his father. His father's name, Enoch. But Enoch fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And then if we look in uh, Hebrews 11, 5, it says, Now before he was taken, 
he was commended as having pleased God. And so what I want to show you is from the passage in Genesis as well as Hebrews, this idea of walking with God is synonymous with pleasing God. Enoch walked with God, and the writer says Enoch pleased God. Those are synonymous. You can't walk with God without pleasing God, and you can't please God without walking with God. And that's what we see in these passages. And what I want to point out here is that it's interesting, it's just like Alex was talking about. Enoch lived to be 365 years old. And you might think, that is very old. But actually, for example, Methuselah is going to live into his 900s. Enoch's father lived to be around 900 years old. And so Enoch being taken away at 365 is still relatively young in that day. He's kind of in the prime of his life. And yet he's taken out. By God. And what, one thing I do want to point out though, even though it's relative to his day, it was fairly young, but to us it's you know, pretty old. What I want to show you is that Enoch didn't walk with God just for a day. You know, he didn't just pray a prayer and express faith in God one day. He didn't walk with God just for a year, but he walked with God for more than 300 years. And I think the writer of Hebrews is reaching back and he's grabbing hold of Enoch and he's using him as an illustration because he's saying, look at this, this man Enoch was in a very wicked culture that was going against God and yet he walked with God for over 300 years. And I think the encouragement is, if Enoch walked with God for 300 years, surely you all can walk with God for a few years. And I think for us, the encouragement is the same. If Enoch walked with God for centuries, surely we can walk with God for decades or even years. And so the question for us is, you know, will we persevere in faith? And I think there's a great example of this too in the, in the second century. There was a man named Polycarp. He was an early leader of the church. And the state of the Roman Empire at that time was that they were not necessarily hunting down Christians But if a Christian was caught not being willing to offer sacrifices to the gods of Rome, then they were brought before the officials and uh, either forced to recant their faith in Christ or put to death or put in prison. And so the bishop Polycarp was brought before the Roman officials. Finally, after hunting down uh, several times, they finally bring him in and a crowd gathers around to see this trial take place. And the official tells Polycarp, and Polycarp was an older man, he's in his 80s. And so they're trying to reason with Polycarp, and they're trying to say, Polycarp, you know, just turn your back on Christ, recant your faith in Christ, and worship the gods of Rome. And here's what you need to say, Polycarp. You need to say, away with the atheists. Now what you need to realize is that the Romans called Christians atheists, Because they did not believe in the gods of Rome. They believed in the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. But they didn't believe in the gods of Rome so they would call the Christians atheists. So the officials told Polycarp, what you need to do is just say, away with the atheists. And so what Polycarp does, he says, okay, well, pointing his finger to the crowds. He says, you know, away with these atheists. In other words, saying, you know, belief in the one true God is the only true belief. Well, they keep trying to get him to recant and turn his back on Christ. And this is what Polycarp said to to the officials. He said, For 86 years, 
I have served him, and he has done me no evil. How could I curse my king who saved me? This is the Enoch type of faith, the, the persevering type that will continue on all throughout life. And I think Polycarp's a great example. And so the question we have before us is, you know, will we persevere in our faith in Christ in the midst of difficulty? In the midst of hardship, you know, when things don't go our way, are we going to persevere in our faith in God? And so you see Enoch's crisis, and we see Enoch responding by having faith in God and persevering in that faith. Now, how does God respond to Enoch? Well, one thing we see is that you know God always He always rewards faith, always. And we're going to see it in this chapter. He always rewards faith. And we see this in verse 5 in chapter 11 of Hebrews. He says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. So in the midst of the culture that is going in the opposite direction of the way God would have it to go, Enoch says, I'm going to trust God. I'm going against the grain. And God commends Enoch and takes Enoch up to himself. Now, what's interesting about that is that it never says that Enoch died. It just says that God took him up to himself. And so it was as if you know, Enoch is walking with God by faith, and then God just takes him to himself into eternity without allowing Enoch to taste death. And he's not the first, or he's not the only one. He is the first one, but he's not the only one that had some type of experience like this. We know later on this will happen to Elijah. He'll be taken up in a whirlwind. And then we also see it happening in Jesus Christ. Even though he will taste death and he will be buried, he will be raised from the dead and then he'll ascend into heaven to be with God. And so even in the early history of mankind, we see Enoch being taken up. God taking Enoch to himself And not only did this commend Enoch's faith, telling Enoch that you can be with God forever, but also it served as a sign to the culture that there is life beyond this life. And I think even back then you saw this glimpse of the resurrection, that God is going to bring His people to Himself, and there is more, more to life than just today. And I think we see that even in Enoch, and we see God rewarding Enoch's, Enoch's faith by bringing Enoch to himself. And he did it in a very miraculous way. But for us, for me and you, most of us, if not all of us, we're all going to taste death. But the confidence you have as a Christian is that even though you will walk through death, it will be a transition stage for you to go from this life to the next. God will take you to you to himself if you have the same faith like Enoch. And so we see here that God's response is that he always he always rewards faith. And then the question is, how do we how do we please God? We see how Enoch pleased God by his faith, God commended him for it. So how do we please God? Well, in verse 6 in Hebrews 11, it says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and He rewards those who seek Him. And so at first he says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Okay, so without faith it's impossible to please God. So faith in what? Without faith, faith in what? You know, Charles Spurgeon, the, uh, the great English preacher from uh, the 1800s, he, he shared this illustration of uh, two men in a boat and they were going down this river and they were approaching this great waterfall called Niagara Falls. Now, many of you have seen Niagara Falls, many, many of you have heard of it, but it's a great, powerful, natural phenomenon, this huge waterfall that you know if you were to get swept over the falls, you, know, you would be seen no more, you know, you'd be crushed. And so he tells this story about two men in this boat that were going along the river and one thing led to another, and they got caught up in the current heading toward the falls. And they were in panic. People on the shoreline were watching these two men struggle as they were going in this boat toward the, toward the falls. And one man grabs a rope and floats a rope out to the boat. Well, in the chaos, in the panic, one of the men jumps overboard and grabs the rope. And the other man, in desperation, he jumps overboard, but instead of grabbing the rope, there's this large log floating down, and he grabs hold of the log. And what Spurgeon says is that rope represents faith. It's, it's like Jesus Christ on the shore letting out the rope of faith, asking you to grab hold to it, because it's through faith that, that God will bring you to Himself and bring you into the life that you're meant to live. But the large log that the man grabbed hold to, that was your works. It's trying to please God by your works, by being such a good person, by trying to please Him, by you trying to be Jesus Christ. Instead of allowing Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you're trying to work your way to heaven, and you're grabbing hold tightly to that log of your works, and we know what's going to happen. Although you are holding so tightly to the log, you're going over the falls. And the only way to safely be brought into shore, be brought into God, is through faith in Jesus Christ. And so without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, faith in what? Faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. You know, if you, if you want to please God, if you want to please God, you have to be found in the one of whom God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If you want to please God, you must be found in the one who pleased God. And that's Jesus Christ. And without faith in Him, you cannot please God. And then He says, if you want to draw near to God, you must believe that He exists. And for us to know God, God has to make Himself known. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, when the writer said, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So we see again, if we want to know God, we have to know Jesus Christ. He's the one who reveals God to us. So if we want to approach God, we must believe first, God exists, and we know Him through Jesus Christ. If we want to please God, we must be found in the one who pleased God, and that is Jesus Christ. 
And lastly, if you want to approach God rightly, you've got to believe that He rewards those who seek Him. And the writer of Hebrews talks about this at the end of chapter 10. He says to those readers, he says, you know, that there's this better possession. There's this greater reward than what you're currently experiencing. And therefore, you need to persevere and God will grant you that reward, that inheritance. This is, this is the bottom line here where it comes to day in, day out, walking with God. You have to believe. You have to believe that the life that God offers you is better than any other life you can have. If you do not believe that, you will not walk with God. Why would you? (laughs) Why would I walk with God if I think there's a better life out there apart from Him? You won't do it. You will not persevere in faith unless you believe that God rewards those who seek Him. And that primary, that primary reward is Himself. Being with Him, knowing Him, walking with Him. If you don't believe that is greater, then you will not walk with God. You know, you, you, can't, you can't walk with God if your ankles are chained to the things of the world. You can't do it. You can't please God if you're primarily concerned with pleasing man. And so the question is, do you want to please God? That's the question. Do you want to please God? Well, we know how we please our employer, you know, and our friends and our family and our uh, teachers. You know, we, we please these people primarily by doing what they want us to do. And, and that's okay. But how do you please God? Do you do that? Do you please God by doing everything He wants you to do? That's not what the text says. The Scripture says you please God not by doing enough or being good enough, but you please God by faith. You please God by having faith in the one who was good enough, who did enough, who pleased God. That is how you please God. Not by your works, not by how good you are, but by believing in how good Christ is. That's how you please Him. And so, not only are you saved by faith, not only do you enter a relationship with God by faith, but what He's saying here is day by day, year by year, the only way your life is pleasing to God is if your life is filtered through faith in Jesus Christ. That means everything we do, we do believing God is going to use it. He's doing something in it. He's created me for this purpose. I want to be a good husband, a father, an employer, an employee, whatever it may be. I want to be these things because of what God's going to do in and through them. And I, and I can be a good husband. I can be a good father. All these things, not because I'm just so good in, in and of myself, But I believe that God has the ability to make me those things through the power of the Holy Spirit. And even in my fragmented and imperfect obedience, 
because Christ's sacrifice was so sufficient, even my imperfect obedience is pleasing to God if I'm doing it in faith. So what I want to encourage you with this this morning is that as you go to school, as you go to work, as you interact with people, let's, let's do those things by faith, believing that God is going to use my life day in and day out for His glory. And even though it's fractured, fragmented, you know, fragile at times, that it can be pleasing to Him if we do it in faith, believing that Christ is enough. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Let's pray. Lord, we come to You this morning challenged by this idea that even though we please other people by doing certain things, that we please You by faith in what Christ has done. Lord, help us to cling to that this morning. Help us to realize the ramifications of that in our lives and just how we conduct our lives, that You are pleased with our obedience if, we, if it is done in faith. You are pleased with our lives if they are lived with faith in Christ. Lord, help us to not only cling to Christ today, but Lord, help us to persevere in that faith to the end, believing that You reward those who seek You. And I pray that many here that know You that their faith would be emboldened because they realize anew that You do reward those who seek You. And God, for those this morning who perhaps don't know You or their ankles are chained to the things of the world and they're seeking a life apart from You, Lord, I pray that You would convince them that life, the way it is meant to be, is found in faith in Christ. And we pray that You would do those things in Jesus' name. Amen.